Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Welcome to Margins. I'm Dr. Christopher Witt. Today I'm joined by criminologist Dr. Amber Beckley. I first met Amber over a decade ago when we were both members of the Black Graduate Students Association at the University of Maryland. Today, Amber is a Marie Curie postdoctoral fellow. She splits her time between Duke University and Stockholm University in Sweden. She joins me today to discuss her research, which deals with factors that cause people to commit crimes. We also talk about how her experiences working and studying in Europe have influenced her perspective on crime in the United States. Lastly, we'll have a little bit of time to talk about some of her experiences as a woman of color in the world of criminology. So, Dr. Beckley, very happy to have you here. I should say Amber, since we've been friends for so many years now. I think when people find out uh, that you're presenting somewhere or they find out that you're here on our Margins podcast, you know, they, they see you as a criminologist. And I think that there's a lot of either confusion or people just not knowing what a criminologist does or what is criminology. So I think it would be great if maybe you could kind of tell us a little bit about what it is you do in terms of being a criminologist. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, So you're right. A lot of people uh, think that a criminologist is someone that does what they see on CSI. And that would be really cool if that were a real job because the, the CSI people get to look at fingerprints in the morning and then go arrest people at night. And there's really no job like that in real life. Um, what I do is I actually try to understand the reasons why people may be committing crime. And that doesn't mean that I look at individuals personally. My, in my research, what I focus on is, um, trying to find patterns that we could use to then make policy. Um, so sort of broad things, broad trends that we could find, um, and how that could be related to people committing crime in the future. I mean, it really goes along the lines of a lot of times what I talk about with my students, I'll tell them, well, you know, you are a political science major. Political science is one of the social sciences, but any of us as as social scientists, be it a criminologist, a political scientist, a sociologist, we're looking at relationships. We're looking at people. We're looking at those di- power dynamics from different angles in terms of people's relationships with, let's say, the criminal justice system, with crime, with one another. I'm going to look at things uh, from a policy perspective in terms of making the policy. And a lot of times you're going to end up having a lot of overlap and a lot of interplay between all of that work. And I, I think that sometimes if people end up overlooking the work that you all do are not really recognizing it. They're missing a, a vital component in in making better policy, uh, that policies along lines that sometimes are directly related to crime. But would you agree that they may also be missing out on policy improvements on things that have nothing to do with crime on the surface, but ultimately can lead to, you know, improving situations with crime? 
well, you're absolutely right, Chris. I think that is a, a good point. Um, a lot of the things we have found in criminology really are not uh, related to policies that could be implemented in the criminal justice system. I think there has been a shift toward policies that maybe can start to affect people at an earlier age before they would get involved in the criminal justice system. Um, things that we know uh, could try to prevent like children from ever getting towards that path of the criminal justice system. But those really haven't been seen as priorities. We instead prefer to focus on prisons or police or things like that. Yeah, I mean, there's people sometimes forget that we have whole lifetimes, that even somebody who is engaged in crime, it wasn't like they came out of the womb uh, engaged in crime or that's all they do 24-7. So, yeah, I mean, I really appreciate that perspective. You also have the interesting perspective of being an American who spent significant time in Sweden for your doctoral training, you know, for personal reasons with, with having a husband from Sweden, coming back to the United States, headed back off to Sweden. What are some of the big takeaways that you have in terms of the approaches um, that are, are different between uh, the two countries and, and maybe things that they could either learn from one another or, or, or back and forth in other ways? Yeah, so Sweden is a very different country from America in a lot of ways. It's very similar in many ways. I mean, we, you know, it's it's generally a, I guess, Christian-based society. So we have a lot of similar traditions in Sweden that we do in America. Um, and the justice system is fairly similar as well. We have the, you know, we have police in Sweden. We have courts. That's how people end up, why, end up, you know, being prosecuted and they can go to prison or jail. Uh, that that's the same. It's really how things are implemented in Sweden. That's that's rather different. So um, one of the biggest things I would say is that uh, that in Sweden. We tend to uh, put our money towards the social welfare system rather than towards prison. And I think what that means is that for children uh, who are born in Sweden, they are able to start off on a much better track. So they can go to school for free. Everybody in Sweden can go to school for free. Even private schools, they're technically, I guess, what we would consider in America to be charter schools. Um, healthcare is free. So children don't you know, have to worry about uh, becoming sick or the effects, the lasting effects that illness could have on their lives. Um, their parents don't have to struggle to try to get health insurance. So right away, the children in Sweden are sort of starting off on average on a much better, on much better footing than a lot of American children who we see in the justice system eventually. Um, and then, as I said, so we're putting all this money in Sweden into social welfare programs, meaning A, we don't have a lot of money for prison, but B, we just don't need to send so many people to prison. There's not as much crime happening in Sweden. And, um, you know, the prisons there are different. We uh, – there are a lot of open prisons there where people can go to work during the day. Um, there's a stronger reliance on probation and um, – just just trying to make sure people ha still maintain a life outside of prison so that when they leave prison, they can um, better acclimate to the rest of society. And in, in the work that, that you do in terms of having that knowledge of Sweden and taking that time to work in Sweden, I mean, you 
really, you know, I guess to toot your horn, you have one of the most prestigious fellowships in Europe. Um, how does that play out, you know, as an American having that fellowship and doing that work, or even as a woman of color uh, engaging in this work, you know, on more of an international basis in a field where in most cases in social science fields that there are disparities in terms of the number of men versus women or the number of people of color uh, versus a white majority. So, I mean, how does any of that play out in you having the position you have in doing the work that you do? Yeah, so I I think that the in Europe the race thing is definitely downplayed a little less that I am in Europe I am an American. In America I you know my status as a minority definitely seems to come out more and I I have, you know, had these experiences of imposter syndrome where, you know, and I don't know if that is because of my status um but you know, I think that Given my sense of imposter syndrome, it has been very important to find a community of um, black scholars that I can work with and communicate with and really just have their support because they – I can relate to them in ways that I perhaps can't relate to my white colleagues and in ways that I may be feeling insecure that they're also um, having feelings of insecurity because – when when we're all together as as a group, me and my other fellow minority scholars, there's kind of a realization that we don't think this is our game. You know, like we we are struggling in this. And I do know that I have, you know, I, I was just speaking with a white male colleague about like he was concerned that maybe he's the biggest imposter of them all because everyone is just maybe thinking he's right because he's a white male. Um and, you know, so people do have their own neuroses. But I think that there is definitely a sense of immediately as a minority and as a woman, you get a sense that no one's really thinking what you're saying is right. And I think that it's important to find a community of black scholars to sort of build up your own, you know, ego a bit and say, we're all doing great. Look at how far we've come we're accomplishing great things. And um, yeah, it's really important to have that community. Yeah, I mean, building that community, having those shared experiences certainly is something that always uh, can be helpful, particularly as people uh, reach further and further uh, in their educational journey and, and working in higher ed or working in scholarly research. I think that that's a theme uh, that we have with lots of different people who we talk to that building those communities of understanding end up being uh, very, very useful. Are there any things that when you think about your field of criminology and you think about either young folks who would be uh, undergraduates thinking about moving into the future or uh, people out there who may have young people in their families who they want to encourage on a career path. Are there any particular qualities or interests that a, an undergrad may have where you would see them and say, wow, you know what? For graduate school, you may want to consider criminology or for a career, you may want to consider criminology because as we all know, generally you don't have criminology focused programs in undergrad. It's much more of a graduate uh, type experience. So what would be some, you know, I guess, identifying factors for people who would do well in your field? Um, 
Well, I think that the first thing is there's a lot of different routes you can take, even with my field. Much like in political science, you know, there there are many different things you can look at. So I think that, um, you know, while I study um, people and how they offend over lives, um, some people study police, some people study courts, um, some people study prisons. So I think if you're really interested in topics surrounding the criminal justice system and offending over people's lives, um, or even if you're interested in things like gangs and drugs and things like that, criminology could be an appropriate field for you. Um, there are also, you know, different routes you can take once you've started in in the discipline. Um, I personally do quantitative research, which means that I look at big sets of data and I do statistics. Other people uh, do qualitative research, which means that they would be more likely to go and meet with people and interview them and speak with them. And I think if you're interested in, you know, just studying those topics, that there there could be a route for you to um, – you know, continue down that path in whatever way. There's there's just a lot of options. Um, you know, as an academic, you know that um, it's not always easy to, to continue in academia, and it sometimes can be stressful. But I think that, uh, you know, if this is really what you want to do, you'll find a way. And I think, as is the case, you know, in, in many different fields, it's important to really diversify the pool of people who are going into that field because of the perspectives that they bring, because of the questions they may ask. I mean, if they're doing quantitative or qualitative research, questions can be different because of different perspectives. So, I mean, w- would you agree that it's important to try to have the, I guess you could say, the pool of people who are involved in doing the research in criminology or any of these other areas of interest look more like uh, the 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 nation in which the, the work is being done or have people with these very perspectives because of the questions that they would ask? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to definitely have diversity in the, in, you know, especially in a field like this. I think it's very important. What's interesting, too, having been in Sweden where, you know, there isn't as big of a racial divide is that you start to realize, too, that it's not just about race like it is in America. I mean that it's also good to have, you know, economic diversity in this field so that if you are coming from a background that is not, you know, extraordinarily well off, it's probably really important that you that you come and provide input in criminology and political science and any of these fields that, you know, there's so much experience that people from, you know, upper socioeconomic status or from minority ethnicities or races have that perhaps people that haven't had those experiences aren't aware of and therefore they don't know what questions to ask and they don't know how to approach the questions. Um, You know, in my field specifically, when speaking about, when thinking about, you know, why people commit crime or, you know, what experiences they're having with their parents, it's, it's really helpful to know that, you know, in certain households, um, you know, it might be okay to pop your kid upside the head for discipline, whereas perhaps in a different household, that's totally, you know, not, not all right. And I think that, you know, if you don't, if you aren't aware of those differences, it's uh, going to impact your research. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think that kind of going along those lines of 
who's asking the questions, what questions are being asked, the ways in which some of this research can really open the doors for us to diagnose uh, a lot of the things that we have going on in our society is something that really merits another conversation. Uh, would you mind coming back for another conversation to kind of dig a little bit more deeply into that and some of the work that you're doing? Yeah, I would love to come back. This has been I think that would be a great way to uh, get more into these details. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I look forward to having another conversation. Well, thank you. I want to thank Dr. Amber Beckley for joining me on Margins. And be sure to look out for part two of our conversation in the coming weeks. Also, a big thank you to our listeners. Your support of WVIK makes this program possible. You can visit WVIK.org at any time to donate. Margins is produced by Lacey Scarmana. Take care.